0: Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy.
1: And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash Locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today.
0: Warning. Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised.
1: back to check the locks podcast as always I'm John Connor
0: and I'm Olivia Cornu
1: saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case before we jump into the story Olivia as always it's great to see you we're back on our recording super late at night schedule so this feels a little more natural than the last one but how's it going how's your week been as always it's wonderful to see you
0: hey I'm doing great I was actually having a conversation with my friend just a little while ago and I was like, yeah. She was like, are you already in bed? I said, no, I'm finishing up my podcast and we're about to start recording. She was like, well, what time do y'all finish? Like midnight? I was like, yeah, sometimes.
1: <laughs> That's none of your business. We get done yeah. when we get
0: done. Yeah, we like to do this at nighttime. Anyways, I'm doing really good. It's been a good week. How are you? What's going I'm, on in the Connor world?
1: I'm doing really well. We're still kind of all getting over this funk we've had for the last couple of weeks. There's still some residual. But other than that, it's been very good. Uh just staying busy, you know, little kids and soccer and stuff like that. So, you know, lots of family time and fun stuff. It's, it's been a really good week and I'm really excited to get into this week's case. You shared your notes with me. I took a little sneak peek. It sounds like it's going to be a really good one. So I'm super excited to jump into it. What do you say? Should we just get into it? Because again, looks like it's going to be a little bit of a heavy hitter.
0: Yeah. But before we jump right in, I will say I had people stop me at work and be like, this week's podcast was gruesome. So you definitely got them on the shock factor there.
1: Well, and the funny thing is, is like, I didn't pick it to be super shocking, but the feedback in the Facebook group has just been insane where people like this is crazy. So I mean, I'm glad that people like the episode and it, it hit a nerve, but, but it was definitely darker than I think a lot of the stuff that we've done. And apparently by all the reactions it really hit home. So I'm excited to see what we've got for this week. Maybe we can keep that ball going and people will be feeling shocked after this week's episode too.
0: Yeah, so speaking of the Facebook group, this actually came as a suggestion um, from one of our pretty active members, Kim, if you know, you know. So this week we're going to talk about Daniel LaPlante. Have you ever heard of him?
1: The name sounds really familiar. And when you sent your notes over, there was something in my head where I was like, I think I know this. And as I was going through the notes, there's a lot of elements that sound familiar, but I got to say, I'm not hundred percent sure. So I'm interested to dive into it and see if it kind of jogs any memories or anything like that in the brain.
0: All right. Well, what do you say we just jump right in?
1: I love it. Let's do it.
0: This story starts on a chilly morning, December 1987 in Townsend, Massachusetts. A young married couple, Priscilla and Andrew Guffson, started their morning like that of any other with two young children. Andrew Gustafson was off to work. Priscilla, who was 33 and pregnant with her third child, took her seven-year-old daughter Abigail to school with her five-year-old son William in tow. While the family was out, 17-year-old Daniel LaPlante was sifting through the family's belongings for the second time. What the Gustafsons did not know was that Daniel had helped himself to their home once before in November. To his surprise, Priscilla and little William arrived back home unexpectedly. Daniel, unsure what his next move should be, confronted Priscilla with a 22 caliber gun he had stolen from another neighbor. Daniel led her and William to the bedroom. He put William in the closet while he tied Priscilla to the bed with homemade restraints and gagged her with one of his socks. He sexually assaulted pregnant Priscilla before he shot her twice in the head. Once done with Priscilla, he took William to the bathroom where he drowned the five-year-old in the bathtub. As Daniel was leaving the Gustafson's home, he encountered Abigail, who was arriving home from school. He forced her into the bathroom where he drowned 7-year-old Abigail alongside her little brother. Daniel LaPlante returned home to his parents' house as if nothing had happened. During all of the suffering, Andrew Gustafson, who was still at work, called his wife multiple times as he was celebrating big news. Andrew had scored a big deal at work and wanted Priscilla to get a babysitter so that they could have a date night to celebrate. He began to worry when he never heard from her. He drove home to find the house dark and Priscilla's car in the driveway. Once Andrew entered the house, he went to their bedroom to find his young pregnant wife shot in the head face down on their bed. He then ran to call the police, afraid to search the house with the fear that he may find his children dead. Andrew waited for the police to arrive, and upon their arrival, authorities discovered the lifeless bodies of Abigail and William in the bathroom. They reported the news to their father, Andrew. His worst nightmare had come true his entire family, including his unborn child, murdered.
1: I wish you could see my face right now because I think number one, home invasion is my worst fear. I think it's just something that inside I have this fear of like, you're going to wake up and somebody's going to be in your house. And you know, it's hard even letting your kid like sleep in the other room because you know, you're like, I want everybody together in case something bad happens. So this is definitely touching on that fear for me. And then being a dad and thinking about Andrew coming home and finding his wife I can't even look around the house because I'm terrified of what I'm going to find only to realize that my absolute worst fears have come true. So this is a hard start, you know, and normally we don't kind of get into the perpetrator right in the beginning of the episode. But it's just such a like shocking story that he's just, yep, this is what I did. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And I was, you know, doing my research, I was a little on the fence on how to actually, you know, lay this one out there because it gets... Very weird, and there's a lot of twists and turns. Not so much about the murder, but the, the story um, behind who Daniel is. Daniel LaPlante was born May 16, 1970 in Townsend, Massachusetts. Not much is to be said about his father. During the time of the murders, he was living with his mother Elaine and stepfather David Moore. He had two brothers, Stephen and Matthew. It is said that Daniel had a terrible upbringing. He reportedly suffered sexual and psychological abuse by many adults in his life his father being the worst culprit. His father repeatedly abused him physically, emotionally, and sexually. LaPlante was not a strong student. He struggled with academics as he was diagnosed with dyslexia. Socially, he did not mesh well with the other kids in school, and many referred to him as weird. During his time in high school, he was referred to a psychiatrist for his abnormal behavior and lack of self-hygiene. Daniel was eventually diagnosed with ADHD along with dyslexia, setting him up for failure in school. Daniel's home life and school life were both on the fritz. It was later discovered that his psychiatrist had sexually abused him for about one year's time. Daniel began to engage in petty crimes. He would break into neighbors' properties and steal their valuables. As his crimes continued, he began to mess with people's psyche with the break-ins. Not only would he steal their valuables, but he would leave things behind or move items around for it to be known that someone had entered their home. This eventually became a hobby. He would start playing mind games with his victims.
1: So I have to say, I don't feel empathetic or I'm like poor kid because I know what he has done. But I would say if there was a handbook into turning a normal human being or a child into a monster, like this kid lived that handbook. Oh, for sure. Not excusing it, not empathizing with it, not being like, oh, poor guy. But you can see how someone like this could grow up to do something terrible. Not only is his father abusing him, but he's seeing a psychiatrist who is sexually abusing him as well. And this is a place where you're supposed to be able to you know, talk about your feelings in a safe place and work through issues. And if you're going someplace like that and this person is taking physical advantage of you, it's like, yeah, it's going to mess up your head and you're going to be capable of doing some terrible stuff, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's you have two people at least in your life your father, you're supposed to be able to trust, your psychiatrist, you're supposed to be able to trust. And these two people have just, you know, ruined him. It's terrible. In 1986, Daniel LaPlante took his mind games to another level. He somehow obtained a phone number to a local family with two daughters Tina, who was 15, and Karen, who was nine. The two girls lived with their father. The girls started having phone conversations with Daniel and he told them that he got their number from a friend who was their classmate. Daniel described himself to the girls as a nice, athletic, blonde, educated boy who lived in their area. Many phone calls were had between Daniel and Tina to the point of officially meeting each other in person. One night Daniel arrived at Tina's house and to her surprise, he was not at all what he described to be. Daniel was instead an unkempt, dark haired boy. Reluctant, Tina went on a date with Daniel. During the date, Daniel became oddly fascinated with the fact that Tina and Karen's mother had died. The two did not stay in contact after their one and only evening together, but the next events are very alarming. Karen and Tina attempted to perform a seance in their basement to contact their deceased mother. The same evening, the girls heard knocking on their bedroom walls. Naively thinking that this could be their mother responding to them, the girls would ask questions and get replies with knocking. The girls believed they had contacted their mother, and they continued this for several nights. As time went on, the girls began to notice their personal belongings going missing or furniture being moved throughout their house. Their father thought that the girls were playing games in the house as a result of grieving for their mother. One night, Tina and Karen were home alone when the knocking continued. They believed that the noises were coming from the basement, so they chose to investigate. To their surprise, they found a message written in what appeared to be blood on the wall that said, I'm in your room, come find me. Again, their father believed the girls were struggling with the loss of their mother. Weeks later, another message was written on the wall saying, I'm back, find me if you can. This time, Tina, Karen, and their father were gone. On December 8, 1986, their father went home to find even more messages, one saying, marry me. To his surprise, he saw a young boy wearing makeup, a wig, and a dress of his deceased wife, holding a hatchet. The young boy was Daniel LaPlante. LaPlante was able to suddenly escape prior to the police arriving. When the police were investigating, they found that the messages were not written in blood, but in ketchup. Police also found a small crawl space that was built into Tina's bedroom wall. Once opened, they saw Daniel LaPlante curled inside. He was then arrested. Police continued to search the home and found a horrifying discovery. LaPlante had been living in the walls of their home. There were several peepholes found throughout the house so that Daniel could watch from almost any room. Daniel LaPlante was placed in a juvenile facility until October 1987. Shortly after was when he committed the heinous Gustafson murders.
1: So this is like something out of a horror film.
0: Kind of, yeah.
1: You know, if I was those little girls doing a seance, trying to contact my dead mother. First of all, just the idea that like, oh, I've made contact. Cause at 15, that seems like something that would be easy to believe. We're like, I'm doing this and I'm getting these answers and it's knocking. And then to find out that this creepy kid has been living in your walls and spying on you in every room of your home. Talk about a peeping Thomas. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about? Like yeah. This is insane.
0: Yeah, and so like as I was doing research, you know, I would find different stories and you know, there's a good show notes of a guy who wrote a book about it, but there's there was so much craziness to it that people started thinking of it as like a folktale or something where they were making up stories about it and, you know, kind of exaggerating about what's actually happening. So it was kind of interesting as I was reading different articles talking about everything that he had done because it's just not something that a regular 17-year-old does, like Who goes and lives in people's walls and makes people's?
1: Well, and whose parent doesn't realize that my 17-year-old is living in somebody's walls? I mean, granted, it was the 80s. You know what I mean? It was like the don't come home till the streetlights are on kind of thing. But you know, I would like to know what his mom and stepdad were doing at this time, where you're just able to be like, yep, I've just been living. Also, can you imagine being that dad and coming home and finding some dude in your deceased wife's dress and makeup just like hanging out in your house?
0: It's almost like he was torturing him too, in a way. Without him really realizing it, I feel
1: like. I mean, I think he definitely has some mental stability issues.
0: You don't say.
1: <laughs> I'm just saying there's something to like, I'm putting on your dead wife's clothes and walking around the house and pretending to be her. You know what I mean? Like, it's some Silence of the lamb stuff, you know? And the fact that this is coming from essentially a child, I think makes it that much more disturbing.
0: Yeah. And then as I was reading, there was a lot of things saying like he had a hatchet for a reason. Had the dad, you know, not been around, maybe he would have went after and killed both of the girls. Like, we just don't know what would have come of it had it not played out the way that it did.
1: Or again, can you imagine being that guy and waking up in the middle of the night and there's a child in your dead wife's clothes holding a hatchet, wearing a wig and makeup? Like, that is straight out of a horror film.
0: Oh, absolutely. I'm surprised there's not something already made about this.
1: I'm sure there is. I'm sure somewhere there's something has been made. I don't know if I want to watch it, but it's, yeah, this is super insane.
0: So let's get back to the evidence of the murders. So police and canines searched the woods behind the Gustafson's house only to find a wet shirt and gloves. The canine quickly sniffed the items and led police to the doorsteps of the neighbor, Daniel LaPlante. The following day, LaPlante was interrogated by the police. With little evidence pointing straight to Daniel, police were unable to arrest him after the interrogation. Daniel fled, and the manhunt began. LaPlante was found hiding in a dumpster. Daniel was arrested for the murder of Priscilla, Abigail, and William on December 3, 1987. Daniel LaPlante went on trial the following October in 1988. He was found guilty of murder and sentenced to three consecutive life sentences. Something that I find odd about this case... Is he should technically be sentenced to four life sentences because Priscilla was pregnant at the time of her death.
1: I 100% agree with you. I think that this adds an extra level of evil to this case. You know, regardless of what your thoughts are, things like that. Like this woman was looking forward to having a child, bringing it into the world. Her and her husband were excited. You know, she probably had the nursery all set, baby name picked, clothes, things like that. And then to have someone just come in and steal your life and the lives of not only your living children, but this child that you're excited to bring into the world. It's just heartbreaking. You know, I, again, I, I understand how this person became a monster, how LaPlante could become such a damaging force into the world, but it's just so hard to process what he actually did. You know, it's just, it's hard to think about.
0: Yeah. And I just, I feel for Andrew, the father who, not only lost his wife, but lost his two young children that will never grow up and then never meet his unborn child. You know, it's just, it's just devastating.
1: I've talked about it on the podcast before, but when my daughter was born and I held her for that first time, I was immediately like, I love you more than anything in the world. And that is not a feeling that goes away as your kids get older. It's not like, oh, I loved you when you came out, but like now I love you a little bit less every day. It's like, if anything, it just grows exponentially, you know, and it feels like for him, everything that he loved, everything that was important to him, everything that he got up every day and went to work for sweat for all of that was all taken away in the blink of an eye, you know, and as a dad, I cannot imagine it would be life shattering. It would be, you know, it would be hard for me to get up. It would be hard for me to want to continue being on this planet by myself. You know, like i could see that causing someone to go into some very dark places.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine. Now, after the fact, Daniel LaPlante had shown little remorse for the murders of the Gustafsons. From the time of his sentencing to 2014, Daniel attempted to sue the court for violating his rights. He reported that the prison system violated his rights of religion as he was a practicing Satanist. In 2017, LaPlante made a statement, I do not have the words to fully express my profound sorrow, but I am truly sorry for the harm I have caused. From the very essence of who I am, from the depth of my soul, I am sorry. Most believe that these are manipulative words of a Satanist monster trying to bribe for his freedom. The courts denied all appeals and Daniel LaPlante will spend the remainder of his life in prison without the possibility of parole. As for Andrew Gustafson, he remarried a widow named Carol. Carol and Andrew both attended the same church and knew each other prior to becoming widows. Carol's first husband died of a brain tumor in 1984 after 15 years of marriage. Andrew has said that life with Carol has made grieving easier. Both Andrew and Carol have an understanding for the loss of their spouses and make a point to wear their wedding rings from their first marriages. The rings from the first on the right hand, their rings from their new marriage on the left. They lived in the same neighborhood in a house just a few doors down from the church in which the two met, where the funerals were held of the late Gustafson family and where Andrew and Carol married. Sadly, Andrew died in 2014 prior to knowing that Daniel LaPlante would never be released from prison.
1: That poor man. I know. I I mean, I am very glad that he was able to find another partner. I think that that is something that few people are Able to find in their life especially when it has been a tragedy like that like again being a dad being married heaven forbid something of this ever happened to me it would be so hard for me to ever think that i could be with somebody else or you know want to start over or there would be nothing i don't think that could replace or fill the hole of what i've lost and so for someone to be able to do that and for two people who have suffered this immense loss to be able to find each other and still have something beautiful from that I think it was really awesome.
0: Yeah. And I thought reading about him, there was a whole article about things that he had said and, you know, the struggles that he had had and just, you know, they got hate from other people because they remarried. And, you know, everybody grieves differently. And I thought that it was kind of fascinating that they had such a connection and that they both had respect for each other's prior spouses to continue to wear the wedding rings you know, because had they not suffered such tragic loss, both of them, they wouldn't have been together. So I think that that was just a a good, pure understanding that they had loved someone before each other, but they can still love someone else.
1: I think it's also being able to respect the relationships that, you know, led you to the point that you're at currently. If Carol wouldn't have lost her husband to cancer, if Daniel LaPlante wouldn't have been in their home that day, those two probably would have never been together and they were able to find comfort in each other again, after these terrible things that happened, but it seems like it was important to both of them to honor those first relationships. You know, I can see somebody getting married and being like my first husband will always be the love of my life, but I love this person in a different way. Relationships are weird like that. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, and I think also when you get older too, it's like you probably don't want to go without some kind of companionship. You know, me, I would never leave my house. I would straight up look like Tom Hanks and Castaway forever. I think that's like how my life would go. But I can understand somebody being like, I don't want to be by myself forever just because this terrible thing's happened, you know?
0: Yeah. So I thought that it turned out to be an overall happy ending, at least for Andrew, even though it was such a profound story.
1: And that LaPlante is never getting out of prison, you know? It's hard it's really hard and talking about the kids and trying to think about like what must've been going through their mind. What must've been going through Priscilla's mind, knowing that like her kids were in the house, you know, it's like, this is, this is the kind of story that for me, I'll be laying in bed tonight thinking about this story. Like, and I will probably be thinking about the story tomorrow when I get up and it'll probably live with me for a couple of days because like I said, this touches on like some big fears that I have in my personal life, you know? So this one, this one shook me.
0: Yeah. So where do you put this one on your deadbolt test?
1: I'm going to put this one as a 10. I'm putting myself in Andrew's shoes, like the thought of like coming into my house and I've just got some great news at work. And I'm like, honey, like let's, we're going out tonight, put on a nice dress. And that's what you find. You Mm -hmm. walk into that. And again, like your whole world is stolen from you in a matter of seconds. Like I said, that would be the end of me. I think I would cease to exist as a functioning human being in, in that moment.
0: Yeah. It's really tough. I'm going to put it up there, too. I'm going to put it up there about a about a nine. You know, I don't have that close of a, a relationship to it. But I just think that, you know, I, this goes back, and we talk about this a lot in a lot of the episodes prior, about this trauma and what makes people turn out the way that they do. And he did some pretty disturbing things between the obsession and the stalking of Tina and her family, and then just started doing petty crimes, and then all of a sudden is... You know, he's robbed their home twice. You know, he was just there to rob them again. I don't know that he intended on killing them. But I think he got into a moment where, okay, Priscilla's in the house. There's a kid here. I am going to get caught. I'm going to go to jail. I just got out of my juvenile facility. What do I have to do? How do I get away with this? And I think, sadly, that Priscilla, Abigail, and William had to suffer those consequences of his poor decision-making.
1: Yeah, it truly is heartbreaking, you know? And I think another thing is we're talking about it and kind of working through it at the end here. Like this really touches on so many of the themes we've discussed going through the 23 episodes that we're at right now. You know what I mean? It talks about the childhood trauma, right? Talking about check the crawl spaces. You know what I'm saying? It's talking about peeping Thomas. It's talking about, you know, losing everything in the blink of an eye. Like, We've hit these themes separately in different episodes, and I think separately they tend to be very shocking and kind of hit you pretty hard, but when they all roll into a case like this where it's almost the perfect storm of just, like, shock and sadness and your jaws dropping a little bit. Like I said, last week we did The Pig Farmer. I was researching it, and I was like, wow, that's gross. You know what I mean? That's crazy, but I wasn't laying in bed thinking about Willie Pickton. I'm going to be laying in bed tonight thinking about this case you know? And that's, I think to me, like, that's how I know this one rattled me a little bit.
0: Well, I'm sorry we had to record this one so late. We should have done this one in our early daylight hours.
1: No, it's okay. And this is what the show is about is kind of bringing these cases that, you know, maybe people haven't heard of and bringing light to these kind of people. And, and the fact that stuff like this really happens in the world, you know? So, I mean, like, I'm glad that you brought it. Hopefully the listeners are feeling the same way. And I'm at a 10. Olivia, you're putting this at a nine. We want to know where does Daniel LaPlante fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. You can find us on the socials. We're on Instagram at check the locks pod. We're on Twitter at check the locks. You can join our amazing Facebook group. We talk about it every week. Everybody there is absolutely awesome. It's so much fun. It's a great place to hang out. People are kind. We're sharing funny stuff. This case again, huge shout out to Kim. If you know, you know, for suggesting this episode, We've got some really cool things coming with episode suggestions that we're going to be sharing with you guys over the next couple of weeks. So a lot of big moves happen in the, the check the locks camp here, but just make sure you're checking out that Facebook group. Come hang out with us every day. Olivia, I think I need to hear a five-star review. I think I need something to like pick me up. I need to feel a little bit better at the end of this episode. What do you got for us?
0: Well, I think I got a good five-star review this week. This week's five-star review comes from FDES7, and FDES said, I was introduced to Olivia by watching Maths. I really enjoyed watching her on the show and felt she got robbed. Because I liked watching her on the show, I started following her on Instagram. When I saw that she was starting a true crime podcast, I liked her even more. True crime is the only genre of podcast I listen to. The dynamic between Olivia and John is great to listen to. My only complaint is that I have to wait a week for a new show. Great job, Olivia and John. Well, FDES7, let us know who you are, but we got some really good news for you this week.
1: That's right. FDES, thank you so much for taking the time, leaving us that five-star review. I have to tell you, I'm right there with you. I became a fan of Olivia from MAFS as well, and I always feel really hip saying MAFS. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm in. I'm in some kind of in crowd. But just so happy that you found the show and that it resonates with you and that you're enjoying it. And again, we would love to send you some stuff. Reach out to us again, Instagram, Check the Locks Pod. You can find us on Twitter, Check the Locks. Reach out to us in the Facebook group. If you're not a social person, not a problem at all. Head over to checkthelockspod.com, click that email button, let us know where to send it. We'd be happy to do so. And just like Olivia said, we got some good news for you. If you haven't checked the trailer, because I have to tell you guys, the number one thing that we hear is, When are you going to do more episodes? Why do I have to wait a week to Mm -hmm. hear a new episode? And so we've got something really, really cool coming. We are going to be starting this Wednesday. So today is Monday. On Wednesday, two days from now, we will be releasing Check the Locks Presents True Crime for the Short on Time. I am super excited about it, Olivia. I know we're going to be doing some short episodes we've already been going through. I'm excited. I don't know how you're feeling about it, but I'm pumped to get out
0: some more content. You know, yeah, I really liked doing my short on time episode. You know, we're going to try to stick to what's happening in the world right now. Um, A little updates on things that may have happened in the past. Um, So, yeah, I'm really excited about it. And I think our listeners will be, too, because that's the number one complaint. Why do we have to wait a week?
1: Yeah. And just so you guys know, we feel the same way you know, having full-time jobs and then doing this podcast on top of it, we want to do more. And so we're just trying to find a way to do that. And, you know, if you guys are enjoying the show, we're enjoying doing it for you. And, you know, we want you to have what you want because you support what we do and and we appreciate it so much so just like olivia said you know this is going to be breaking news stories maybe we're doing little you know short true crime cases in progress and we'll come back with updates and stuff like that but just another way for us to connect with you guys through the week put out more content and hopefully bring you some more true crime cases that you know shake you a little bit so but that is this week's episode again please make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your show so that you do not miss the first episode of True Crime for the Short on Time, launching on Wednesday. That is all we've got for you. We will see you next week for a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case. But until then, don't forget to...
0: Check the locks.
1: See you next week.